Welcome to the Podglomerate. For everything that you were too afraid to ask at home, too embarrassed to ask at school, or was just too hard to ask your partner, welcome to the sex rap. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Sex Wrap. You're here with Spring and Andrew, your favorite sex personalities, and we are here to answer questions about sex. And relationships and sexual health, and really we'll answer any question. We've, we've really gone all over the place over the last six years together answering questions, and I, I love it. And, and the thing is, every time we answer a question, like 10 more come in. So this is like forever, right? The Sex Wrap is forever. it's been like seven years. Is it seven now? Yeah, it's been over seven years. Crazy. Happy happy seventh birthday. Like <laughs> wait, am I am I your longest relationship ever now? Obviously. Yes. <laughs> by like twice as <laughs> by a lot. <laughs> Look at that, everybody. The sex rap is about healthy relationships, and we've cultivated one not only with you, our listeners, but with each other. How are <laughs> how are things, Spring? How you how are you holding up? Oh, there's a lot of stressful things happening in my life, but, um, you know, somehow you keep making it. One of my friends, um, it's one of my partner's partners. Uh, I was asking for some advice when I've been like feeling really stressed lately. And, um, they said to me that their motto when they're trying to get through stuff is just keep swimming. Like Dory says. And, uh, when I was like feeling really, really stressed this week, I just like kept repeating that to myself. Like, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. When I finally get you to Disney World, there's a Finding Nemo, <laughs> the musical, where it's like real live action, like Broadway style. And one of the parts is Dory, where she sings a song, Just Keep Swimming. I'm not going to sing it for you, but when we go to Disney, you will learn it. <laughs> um, I think it's a great motto, because uh, in my head, I hear you singing as Dory, not just saying it, but there's like a whole, it's kind of a cool song about like, how do you stay afloat and how do you move forward? And how do you not let all of the trials and tribulations of day-to-day life get in the way of you being a happy, healthy, successful human being, something like that. I probably put a lot more into the meaning of this song (laughs) than a fish with really bad uh, amnesia and memory and and recall problems. But we're not sponsored by Finding Nemo. (laughs) <laughs> I wish we were. Yes. Maybe we can send this yes. to them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can tell you a story about clownfish. Do you want to hear a story about clownfish? I'm a mermaid. I want to hear stories yeah. about under the sea all the time. So clownfish, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world with people being anti-trans and anti-transgender bills and anti-drag. And we're going to be covering that pretty in depth uh, in the next month or so. Um, but clownfish, uh, they live together in these colonies and All of them except for one are male, right? And there's one female at the top of the hierarchy. And when that female dies or leaves, the the anemone leaves the nest, um, the male, the oldest male or the male with the most fish status, then changes sex, becomes a female and starts laying eggs. Clownfish, Nemo, is transgender. Isn't that awesome? Oh, that's and, so great. Yeah. So anybody who ever tries to tell you trans isn't natural or anything else, like if we look into the animal kingdom, there are so many species that are gay, so many species that are trans, um, and we love them all. Thanks, Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Just keep swimming, you little trans fishes. <laughs> yeah. So cute. 
Well, today, um, we actually get this question a lot from a lot of people. And um, today we're going to talk about why we study sexuality, why we research sex and why we do the job we do. Um, And I'm really excited to talk about this because, you know, I think that it will help everyone understand, first of all, like who we are, where we come from, why we have an interest and expertise in this area. But also, you know, um, I think it's also interesting to hear about some maybe current research that's happening and some things you might not know about. We'll talk a little bit about, you know, the stuff we're doing. Um, Yeah, I think that might be a fun thing to get into today. I mean, I get that question all the time, and I have a lot of different ways I answer it. I used to say there's something broken in my brain um, because I have absolutely no shame or no fear about talking about anything related to sex ever in any any circumstance, any place. I'm like, no, like if I'm in front of a group of a whole bunch of my peers or in front of a classroom of 300 people or, you know, anybody asks me a question, I'm like, oh, it's fine. Let's talk about vaginas and let's talk about periods and let's talk about healthy sex and let's talk about cum shots and blowjobs and hand. Like I have absolutely nothing in my head that says, oh, don't talk about that. Oh, you should be ashamed of talking about it. Um, So I used to say there was something broken in my head, but now I just think I have this really natural talent for talking about things that other people think are sensitive topics or other people are afraid of. Um, And when I think about it, there's absolutely nothing to be afraid of when it comes to talking about all of these issues of sex. Like, you've been listening to our show. We literally talk about any aspect of sex. Um, And I'm kind of proud of that. Like, so I'm not broken in my head anymore, right? It's it's a talent and a skill that I've honed. Um, And I think a lot of it comes from understanding that sex is something that connects every single person together. It's a topic that we're all related to. um, And it's completely natural. It's completely healthy. It's completely normal. um, And uh, all of the people who are afraid to talk about it, thank you for keeping me employed all of these years. But (laughs) I would happily do other parts of sex if I didn't get to talk about it. But I mean, for me, that's the number one thing that comes to my head at the very beginning. There's a lot of other reasons, but that's the number one reason for me. Like, I can do it. I'm talented. I have no fear about doing it. And I think the work is incredibly important because it touches every single human being that exists. And if we don't talk about it, we know that there's a lot of really negative outcomes that that hit people across their entire lifespan. So that's sort of where I want to start today. I don't know. What about you, Spring? Why, why do you do sex research? Well... I do sex research um, because of a personal experience from high school, and um, I'm going to like keep some parts of the story general to protect someone's identity, um, but I had a friend, a close friend in high school that had HIV, and I didn't know that this person had HIV the whole time that we were friends in high school and um, because they didn't tell anyone at our high school. And then when they were graduating, they came out to our school as HIV positive and they told us that they had not told anyone at this school because at their previous school, they had been ostracized for having HIV. They had told their friends there and um they had contracted it um, medically when they were young. And um, and then when they had told people, like uh, other parents wouldn't let their children interact with them and they like weren't able to um, participate in a lot of school activities and all these um, really rude, terrible 
emotionally traumatizing things happen to them because of that. And so at our school, they didn't tell anybody that they were HIV positive. And, and I had been really close to this person. Um, I mean, I was still, I am still <laughs> close with this person. And um, so when I found out that they felt like they couldn't tell, you know, even people they were really close to because of these experiences, I was really angry that that had happened to them. And I wanted to do something to change that. Like that was the first that was the first time in my life, you know, that I felt like really fired up by um, something in my life, you know, that I could see like someone has been treated really unfairly and that's really shitty. And like, I really want to do something about it. And that, that maps on a lot to like my journey as well. Um, for me, like, you know, I'm a gay person. Um, I had some sex ed in high school. Thank you, Mrs. Joseph. Um, but none of it ever was about me and the people who I love and the kind of sex that I was having with anybody. Um, and I get to college and I see what I perceive as really bad choices being made by all of my gay friends, like HIV and disease and all of the stuff is out there. Um, and people weren't protecting themselves and they weren't having conversations and they were having sex for reasons that I thought at the time were really questionable. And I realized a lot of it came from like lack of information, lack of role models, lack of support. Um, and like, I think that kind of lack of sex education, especially for LGBTQAI plus people in the United States, it's getting worse. Um, so uh, I, I started, you know, as an undergraduate at Penn State, uh, doing some work to try to get the word out and like, you know, share condoms and share like how to be in less abusive relationships. And um, I was part of a group called Allies. Um, Allies was the gay group. But at the time, you couldn't have a gay group. Uh you know, at Penn State, big campus. So it was called Allies. Um, and I was the educational director there. Um, and once again, I just sort of moved into this position and I was absolutely fearless in it. I, I was writing grants to get condoms. I would have, you know, educational events that would make other people really uneasy and really wary. And I'm like, no, this is absolutely normal. And somebody has to have this conversation because us not having it isn't going to change whether or not people are going to have going to have sex or have negative sexual consequences. Um, but if we have this conversation, people might make some different decisions about who, when, where, why, how to protect themselves when they're engaging in sex. Um, but, you know, I, I saw all of these people and in my head, I'm like, how, why, and how are you making all of these choices? Like, you know, you're putting yourself at terrible, terrible risk. Um, and it's because the world really did them a disservice, right? The world didn't talk to them about like you're worth it and, and you, you're loved and you can protect yourself. And, you know, HIV isn't inevitable and you're not going to die. Uh, so, like that was my move really into like action, like doing sex education um, just because I wanted the people who I love to have support network and to have information so they could make the best choices for themselves. Like, so it sort of maps on like looking at the people around us and what's happening to them. Um, and I'm really glad that your friend had you. I, I can't imagine how terrifying that must have been back in the 90s. Um, to have HIV and be in a high school. And if someone finds out, what are people going to say? Because the stigma surrounding sex, all of it is still there. And the stigma surrounding HIV, you know, I don't, I think that's as high as it's ever been. It has never really decreased. Yeah. And so when, 
I went to college at Penn State after high school. That's when I found the AIDS Project, which was a local nonprofit there. And I started um, volunteering there. I went through their in-depth training to do outreach to help like educate people about what HIV was, how it was transmitted, you know, how it's not transmitted, how to protect themselves. And I, like you were talking about, I just found it really easy. I loved, I mean, they trained us really well. They did like an in-depth several month training, but after that training, you know, I, I was like very confident in talking to people about how to reduce their risk. I started talking to people about how to reduce their risk before I was even sexually active. (laughs) I was like, I felt so confident, like talking about these things. Like, you know, I was like, I wasn't even nervous and I had no experience personally. And I was like, yeah, I can talk about this with you. And, um, and I really enjoyed it. And I loved like going and doing the outreach and going to bars and handing out safer sex kits and talking to people. And like, um, it made me feel like I was doing something to combat this huge stigma that was like so problematic. And I mean, the stigma, you know, you're talking about LGBTQ, we're talking about HIV, we're talking about sex, like the stigma in all of these areas is still so big. And there's so much work to be done there. And that like passion to like combat that is like what really drove me and what still drives me into, into all the research that I'm doing now. Yeah, I, I mean, right. So and for me, research and education go hand in hand. I think if you do research without the educational component, if you're not helping people understand what's going on, um, research is a kind of scary word for a lot of people because we use statistics and all of these weird numbers and si- si- symbols. And uh, I think that Spring and I, I think, I think, I mean, Spring, something I think that's amazing about you is you do a really great job of taking important high-end research and making it really accessible for other people, which is another one of those skills that a lot of people don't have. Um, Sex and I sometimes, or Sex and I, Spring and I sometimes go to sex research (laughs) conferences and it's all at a level where the people that that need to hear it or the people that it can help don't have access. And Spring and I make sure that everything that we do um, makes sense for everyone. But we do need to take a short break. When we get back, I want to get into some of the specifics of why we're doing sex research and and what that looks like. But we will be right back. Welcome back to The Sex Wrap, everybody. Today, we are talking about why we do sex research. And so far, Spring and I have just been sort of telling our our backstories and sort of how we got to that point. Um, And I mean, I love hearing like, the, the the process and and for me like when I look at spring and her story it's empathy right it's you care about other people you want to make sure other people live their best lives and you realize that sex is completely natural and normal and what can we do to help people inside of that context it's really if you listen to our episode about sex positivity spring and I were both actively engaged in being sex positive to the whole world around us before sex positivity was even a word like, like that's like the, the driving ethic um so why do we do sex research? I want to tell some stories about what I don't like about sex research before we continue. Like, um, okay, great. Yeah. So like, uh, I'm in a locker room when I'm at Penn State and somebody I work with comes in while I am naked and starts asking me questions about sex. I'm like, there are times and places where being a sex researcher is weird. I go to parties and people will like corner me like in a hallway or in like a corner of the kitchen and ask me like a series of really intense questions about like 
negative sexual things in their life. And I'm happy to have those conversations. But if I'm at a party to have fun, like, why don't we have like a coffee date and we can just sit down and you can tell me about it. But um, once people find out you're a sex researcher, you never know when those questions are going to come. Um, eh, going to come. Uh, but <laughs> they're going to come and they're going to come in weird spaces. So like, if you ever see They're me naked in a locker room, room after I've worked out and showered, that is not the time to ask me questions about sexual dysfunction. Um, and you know who you are. Uh, and <laughs> if, if we're at a party, you know, if it's like a lighter kind of conversation that multiple people can be engaged in, that's a great topic, right? Because we should be talking about sex at parties we're in. Um, but once again, if it's about serious relationship dysfunction or sexual dysfunction, like perhaps we should find a time when we are not at a party. But those questions come all the time from everybody, from family members, from people you work with, from people in the street. Once they find out, ooh, one more story. I was um at a over my spring break, which was a couple weeks ago, I was staying at a resort and there was somebody at the pool uh, next to me and we we're just sort of like chatting lightly about what's going on. And she asked like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, so I'm a faculty member and I teach about sex and I have a sex talk show called The Sex Rep. You should listen to it. And then she got my phone number and she texted me a whole series of <laughs> questions about wanting to have anal sex with her husband and being afraid of it. And I just linked her to episodes. It was pretty cool. Yeah. But like, a stranger at a pool, once they find out what you do, is like, hey, honey, I got some questions for you, butt stuff. And they're always about anal sex. <laughs> oh, I, just a random person, butt stuff. And, and if you're listening, and I hope you are, like, thank you for asking me those questions. I'm not using your name. And, um, and yeah, if anyone is going to ask us questions, that's always the number one topic. Like, if someone's like, oh, I have a question to ask you, I'm like, they're going to ask me about their butt. Like, I know it. I know that's coming. That's okay. Yeah, that's what everyone wants to know about. <laughs> the butt. I get a lot of questions like, is it big enough? Is it, is it too small? Is it too saggy? I'm like, the answer to all those questions is no, not at all. They're, you're all perfect. All of those parts are perfect the way they are. They look great on you. That's it. Yeah. All right. So where should we go next? Um, so why why do we do sex research? Um, I, I want to just say like it's, it's incredibly important. N most people are afraid to do it. Um, and it's hard to get money for it. So you sort of get like pigeonholed into these positions where you're like scrapping for a couple dollars. Um, but it's really important because it touches everybody. The work that Spring and I do, the research, the data that we collect, the people that we talk to, it's everyone. Um, and it's so important because if you set people up with good information about sex and sexual health and everything else, their whole life gets better. Yeah. And I mean... It's like these things that we need to do to be whole people. We need to like understand our sexual selves. We need to understand our motivations, our desires, our wants, our needs, all of these things. And like when we are able to fully do that and able to fully communicate about that, then that means that our mental health and our physical health and like our whole emotional selves like all come together and we can actually be our fullest most truest most happiest versions of ourselves right and our sexuality is this big component that like overlaps all these different like spheres of who we are and when we ignore it we can have these like physical problems, emotional problems, mental problems like it's all connected and i think that you know in our society, we still like don't place that much importance on our sexuality and on like really like prioritizing that part of our lives. And it's, it's so important. So yeah, all of this research that we do is like 
trying to say, here we are, let's let ourselves be our full selves and be the happiest we can possibly be. And then there's like all these aspects of our research that are all actually kind of contributing, driving to this like um, hope for the world that we have. I like that you're framing it like hope for the world um, that we have uh, because people are going to be having sex anyway. And why not have lovely, delicious sex and have relationships where you actually love and like the other person at the same time and all the other good things that come from sex. Uh, I mean, the crazy thing for me is that society screams sex at us all the time, like advertisements and television shows and music and music videos and movies. Like it's just like, overwhelming sex all around us, but that sex is not healthy visions of sex and it's not conversations that we should be having around sex. It's you should buy something because we made you feel bad about sex. So I think a lot of the work that Spring and I do in our lives is flipping that script, um, the big societal script. And we have a ton of episodes about like, what does Hollywood get wrong about sex and love? Like those sort of episodes, like our work is meant to be counterpoint to all of that, to provide good information. Um, and another reason why I, I, I do sex research and why I think I'm going to be a sex researcher the rest of my life is that there is so much misinformation and ignorance about sex. It's just everywhere. Um, I'm going to call out like most of the Congress people in my state, like they just don't know anything. There's so much ignorance surrounding it. And on top of that ignorance, people spread all of these crazy myths and rumors about sex. Um, and when you're a sex researcher, you sort of you know, get to get in there and correct course. Like, no, actually, actually, um, the answer is, or here's some information to help you, or uh, like we we get to sort of fix the the negative narratives about sex and fill it with actual facts and statistics and, and real world help and information. Um, so, I mean, I sort of love being at the vanguard of that, like saying like, oh no, all of these myths that people believe like, let's correct that myth and give people good information. One of the major reasons I'm here, like we get to correct course. And the other really cool thing that we get to do is tell people's stories. Like I do a lot of qualitative research and Andrew's done a lot of that with me too. And when we do this qualitative research, we're doing like in-depth interviews or focus groups or collecting stories from people about their lives to hear about their experiences and a lot in, in several different topics, you know, in topics related to PrEP use and HIV and topics related to HPV and vaccination and topics related to their sexual agency and topics related to like homelessness and being unstably housed and how that connects to sexuality and like just all of these so many so many research topics um, that we've looked at like qualitatively and gathering people's stories so that we understand it from their point of view and from their lived experiences and not just saying like you know this is what we assume is happening but like we're going to people and and we do a lot of like survey research too, but I, the passion that I have is for this qualitative research because we really get to say like, here are people's stories and then we can share those back. And there's so much power in those narratives, I think, to allow people to start to understand and build empathy for others' experiences and start to say like, um, you know, this is the reality of the situation for queer youth, for example. And, you know, how can we, um, take these experiences and then say like, okay, what, how can we better support them? Right? Like now we have like full, varied, very like raw, juicy experiences to say like, 
we know what this is, you know, and like, and what can we do about it? And um, I, I love that. I love that we get to like um, take people's stories and elevate them and like make them like turn into action. I mean, I love like turn into action, right? Um, if you ask me, right, like I'll give you all of the stories that I've told today, but at the end, right, why do I do sex research? Because the work that I do, I know makes tomorrow a little bit brighter, right? Like everything that we do makes someone else's life and someone else's world a little bit safer, a little bit happier, a little bit more pleasure, a little bit better sexual communication, um, a better, you know, overall partner. Like it's kind of magical, right? Like the work that we do literally improves not only one or two people's lives, right, but thousands of people's lives or potentially millions of people's lives, depending on what piece of the research um, we look at. Because all of the research that Sprig and I do is translational. And by translational, I mean it's research and action where what we're producing and what we're doing um, makes people's lives better, like explicitly makes people's lives better. It's all put into action. Um, and I think that's really powerful, like when you're doing some kind of uh, research that is immediately and imminently useful. Um, it takes me back to like, everybody's having sex, everybody's sexual, everybody is part of this overall sex family. Um, and even if you're not having sex, right, like you still understand that we live in the sexual world. So the work that Spring and I do, it touches on everyone, like you're all a part of it, we're all in the all in it together. And we sort of get to unravel that mystery and create a path to a bright, beautiful, sexy tomorrow. Love it. Yeah. Sexy right. tomorrow. Yeah. All right. Um, any uh, Anything else that we want to talk about today? Why we do sex research? We're passionate about it. We care. We have personal stories that sort of drove us here. We both have this awesome talent to be able to talk about it and not blush or not get flustered. I mean, sometimes I weaponize it. And by weaponize it, I mean, like, there are some people who are really, really uncomfortable. And I'm like, ha, 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 ha. I've made you so uncomfortable with me talking about something simple like condoms. One time I went for a job talk spring and I had to do like a demonstration of what I was supposed to do. And I had a backpack with bananas and condoms. And I'm like, we're going to do a little fun activity with all of you. Um, some of the people there were not prepared and I did not get that job because they were like, what the crap? I was putting condoms on bananas, but it was for a sexual health educator, university, campus, Penn State position. They just weren't ready. They probably still wouldn't be ready. <laughs> probably not <laughs> no. All right. anything else that you want to add to why you do research spring final thoughts um i think that's it <laughs> i think that's it yeah all right well thank you for listening everybody um i'm really glad that we finally got to answer this question um if you have specifics about this or want to know about some of the specific research that we're doing feel free to reach out we'll, we'd be happy to loop you in um we've done research on the sex wrap as well we have a bunch of papers about that um you can send us your questions uh, through email. Um, we are thesexwrap at gmail.com. That's rap with a W, W-R-A-P. You can call us at 413-I-RAP-IT. Um, and you should definitely check out our Instagram. We're also on Twitter and Facebook lightly, but our Instagram we're active on every single day. Um, we interact with you. We love to hear from you um, at The Sex Wrap. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. For everything that you were too afraid to ask at home, too embarrassed to ask at school or just too music for this episode provided by the ever elusive and mysterious breakmaster cylinder 
the Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe.